Hello and welcome to the Value Pricing Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Wickersham. I'm a chartered accountant, public speaker, and value pricing expert. In fact, I'm obsessed with value pricing and helping accounting professionals get better prices, being more valuable to their clients, make more money, and of course, have more fun. That's why I've spent over two decades teaching accountants and bookkeepers how to value price their services. These episodes are recordings from my live training sessions where I'll be teaching how to price your services, how to win more clients, and how to run a more profitable accounting firm. talk about uh, fractional CFO work. My special guest is the amazing Tatiana Tsoir, and let me bring her on right now. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I, I'm connecting from New York as well. Happy to be here. Yeah, and I remember the last time I saw you was at Scale New Heights, but it feels a long time ago now because obviously the world changed a lot in 2020 and I haven't been to any conferences uh, since then. Everything's virtual online. But I remember it probably was 2019, I'm thinking, where we met up and you talked about what you're doing in the area of CFO work, uh, which sounded amazing. So I, I want to get into that, certainly. But before we do that, I also know, Tatiana, that you have written a book in the not too distant past. Tell us about your book. Yeah, absolutely. So my book is called Dream Bold, Start Smart. And I wrote the book because I stopped working really with startups because startups usually have low budget for the service that I offer and or no budget rather. Um, and so I started working more with just existing businesses. What I've noticed was that people would come to me and I would look at their stuff. I would look at their taxes and their books and I would think, oh my God, if only they did it better, if only they knew what they didn't know, and if only it could be done better, they would have been so much further along on their journey. So this book is a roadmap on how to start a business and do it smart and skip all the anxiety and mistakes associated with first-time entrepreneurs. I, I'm, I'm very impressed. Not many accountants have written a book, but you, you have, so congratulations. And I think I count myself in that club as well, uh, having written far too many books. Let's, let's get into today's topic then. And, and the first question, I think, is just in case anyone has no idea what we're talking about today, what is fractional CFO services, given that we've got an audience that's not just in the US, but actually all around the world? Fractional CFO, well, CFO in general, most of us know what it stands for, right? Um, Chief Financial Officer. And fractional just means that instead of you working full time for one business, you work um, with several businesses and maybe engage your staff and some of the work is done by your staff, but the expertise, the tone at the top, if you will, comes really from you as the business owner, as the practice owner um, as well. So um, it's a fairly extensive service. And unfortunately, I believe it's been underserved. Uh, businesses have been underserved just because of the, I guess, maybe the cost, um, sometimes perceived cost associated with it. And it doesn't mean that we have to charge less as accountants, but it certainly means that we have to communicate the value. And I learned this from you where many, many years ago, when I took your price psychology um, training, you said something that when a person says that you're too expensive, that means you fail to communicate the value. And so I took it to heart because if someone says you're too expensive, that means they don't understand what the value is that you offer. 
And with fractional CFO or just CFO service in general, I think it's very important to understand what the role of someone like a CFO is and what it entails and what you're supposed to be doing as opposed to what we as accountants and bookkeepers think we're supposed to be doing. And so there's a lot of gap I see, that I see, I saw over the years, um, have seen over the years, where what accountants think fractional CFO or CFO service should be and what it actually is, um, is very different, different things. <laughs> and is there a difference between, and this is my ignorance, so forgive me, but is there a difference between fractional CFO and virtual CFO? Technically, Yes. And here's an example that could help understand kind of how it works. Um, You can be in New York and the business you work for is in Texas. And you are full-time CFO for that business and you're virtual, but you're there full-time. You don't work for anybody else. Fractional CFO means that they get full CFO service, but on a fractional basis, meaning they just pay you a retainer a month and you provide agreed upon services and deliverables as well. Okay, that makes sense. Because I've heard over the years, a lot of people in the profession talk about offering virtual CFO services, but I guess really that fractional CFO is perhaps a better definition of what the profession is offering. Let's talk a little bit about your background and your experience in in virtual CFO. Not virtual, fractional CFO even. (laughs) (laughs) It is virtual. So I think that those two, fractional and virtual, are used interchangeably, but if you really think about it, fractional is what um, what we're talking about. So I've been in accounting since 2005. I worked with small businesses of different caliber, different size. I worked with different style leaders and watched how these leaders made financial decisions and just decisions in general that in every decision, realistically speaking in business is a financial decision because it has financial consequences. And so I was privy to the most intimate part of all of those things, and that's finances. Because without finances, realistically speaking, without finances, it's not a business, it's a hobby. And so what I've done was I actually got, I inherited a business, a client from somebody who's worked there before me. And this person was more of a fractional controller slash CFO. So he wasn't doing everything that a fractional CFO should be doing, but but he was doing a lot of these things. And so I took this client and I kind of grew with that one client over a number of years. And because this client was a very strong CEO, that he became over 25 years, meaning eventually, hopefully, everybody becomes such a strong CEO, but you don't have to wait 25 years to become that. But he did. But because of the way he he is, I still work with him. I learned how to be a fractional CFO, how to offer the service, how to offer the deliverables. But what I've also noticed was that a lot of the things that contributed to my success as a fractional CFO to a, to this business was due to the fact that the CEO was very strong. And you don't always get that as an accountant, as a bookkeeper. Sometimes, especially if the business is in their early stages, the first five, 10 years of being in business, typically you would need to be the one who's teaching them, who's coaching the business owner to be the CEO that you want them to be because that's in their best interest. And so I've worked with this one client, but I then started offering this service to other small businesses on a smaller scale, sometimes bigger scale. I've worked with businesses in similar industries. This particular one was in um, fashion, which means, you know, if you work with fashion or any sort of manufacturing or production, you know that there is deposits, there's cash flow fluctuations pretty much every month. 
because there's deposits for the next collection. There's balances for the past collection. There is freight. There's warehousing. There's all these charges that a business need to be able to not only control, but forecast with accuracy. Because one of my clients, actually former clients, uh, because they've hired uh, an in-house CFO because they've grown so much. But one of my clients actually had a problem where they've been ordering. They didn't have any limit. They didn't listen to my limits in terms of the production costs for the future. And they ended up having building too much inventory and the inventory was still coming and coming and coming. And then all of a sudden um, they had $5 million worth of inventory sitting on the shelves. And we all know what happens when the inventory sits on the shelves. It doesn't make you any money, right? It's just like money sitting on, on the shelves that you can't spend. So, so that's kind of why I think fractional CFO is such a, such an important role because we, we're not just reporters of numbers. We're not just looking back at the numbers, um, despite what Mike Michalowicz might say. <laughs> um, accountants do a lot more than that. We are capable of doing much more than that. But this is kind of how I got into it. it I, was in, I inherited it and then I just took it and I ran with it and I started paying attention to all of the things that we're doing. You just said something which uh, sparked in my mind a question, which was that accountants are capable of doing so much more. And, and so, talk about the industry in general. Isn't it not? Is it not the case that accountants are already doing this service, or perhaps not? What's your experience? Um, my experience is is this. Uh, my experience is that many accountants are attempting to do it or are doing a portion of it. The business strategy comes in from the CEO. It's uh, it's a big part of a CEO's job to build business strategy to build product strategy, overall, big, kind of big picture strategy. But then it's a hobby without finances. So you see the strategy circle overlaps with the CFO because it's the CEO's job, CFO's job, um, not only to record keep, to um, do controllership functions, to do, to manage, not to do taxes, but to manage tax planning and compliance, management reporting and forecasting and treasury. It also the CFO's job to create a strategy to back up financial strategy, to back up the strategy that the CEO creates. And so in larger corporations, there is a separate role for the CFO, right? In small businesses, we're kind of all over the place. Uh, finances are often handled bootstrapped by the business owner. Treasury funding is somewhere in between the business owner and the finance person. Record keeping and controllership is kind of usually what most small businesses have. Then you have some management reporting, if it even exists, some forecasting, if it even exists, and some tax planning compliance, which typically the finance person, whoever that is, a bookkeeper or an accountant or finance director, uh, oversees and supplies all the information. We all know this setup, right? And then you as a, a third-party um, accountant provide the service. But the idea is this, and this is something that that I've noticed and kind of worked with. I always insist, at least for small business, that you see how treasury and fu treasury funding is in the, in the CEO's realm. I always insist that the CEO pays their their business bills for some time. And usually, like this client that I've been mentioning, we've worked together for over ten years, and he's still and he's been in business for thirty. He still pays his own bills because he know likes to know exactly what money is coming out. A lot of the stuff obviously is automated, but but most of the things that require production payments, bigger things like that, strategically paying bills for warehousing and things, he manages that. And that's how I like it to be. It's not always the case, but when we bring it all together to, down to the fractional CFO, this is kind of what it comes down to. And as a fractional CFO, 
Um, you still have to manage all of these things, the management reporting, the tax planning and compliance. And if you offer tax services, if you're a bookkeeping firm, you're not offering tax planning and compliance, potentially, maybe you are. But in that, then that circle would go out of your fractional CFO circle. But everything else, you can help manage. Um, and there are strategies to set this up in your firm. But the idea is still, it's a work that's collaborative work with the CEO and the strategy behind it. And the strategic component is what I've noticed to have been missing with accountants the way it is today. Um, that's to answer your question, that's essentially the case. Accountants and bookkeepers who are offering this service most of the time are missing the strategic component. The deliverables, the specific deliverables every month, the really good set of questions to the client, to probing questions, we call them, the risk management, like nobody canceled risk. I mean, um, the liability management, the liquidity management and working capital and all of those things are typically not offered currently by accountants and bookkeepers. So Doreen uh, has asked actually two questions. She says, uh, what type of credentials should you have to offer this type of service? And let me ask the second question because they may, you could perhaps answer them both together. So what type of credentials should you have to offer it? And Doreen also says, are there certifications or other types of affirmations that are available? There are certifications available, absolutely. Um, and in terms of what you should or shouldn't have, I'll answer it this way. If you look up my book, if you Google my book, you will notice that my all of my licenses and accolades and credentials are not on it. Uh, even though I'm a CPA, I have an MBA, I've been recently certified as a United States tax court practitioner. I can represent people in tax court. Um, I've done a ton of trainings. I have a lot of degrees. I'm really good at getting them. It's about what you offer and what you solve for people. It's not about the credential. Having a credential doesn't equal you can do the job. For me, all of the education that I've ever done, taken on, was about application. And then that includes, Mark, your uh, price psychology training that you had years ago. I don't even remember what it was, 2018 or 2019. I remember when I took it, it was great to learn, but then I went and I applied it to my business and I perfected it for my business, for my accounting business. And and that's what it really made it alive for me. And same thing with my accounting degree and, and, and same thing with every little course that I've ever taken. It was always for me about application. Once you know how to apply it, that's what people see. That's what people want. They don't care about the certification. You know, a lot of people on LinkedIn specifically, and this is my personal pet peeve, which is why I'm talking about it, put all kinds of accolades behind their names, all kinds of alphabet. And most of us don't even know what that means. I mean, most people know what an MBA means. Most people know what a CPA means, but CBP certified or whatever certified bookkeeper, CPB, uh, nobody knows what this what those letters stand for. So does it matter? It matters because you know you've went through it and you've learned it, hopefully, you've applied it, you know how to apply it. But in terms of required or should, it's more about less about the certificate or degree and more about a program or programs or even your own experience that would actually help you support the client. That's all, That's what it's all about. It's not about you. Just like when you speak on stage, you know, a lot of people are afraid of public speaking. When you speak on stage, I was told once that it's not about you, it's about the audience. And that's completely changed my mind. And that's the same thing here. It's not about you. It's about what it is that you're solving for them, what it is that they're getting support with. And here's the problem. The problem is that entrepreneurship is lonely 
and not only entrepreneurship. I mean, accounting is also lonely, but that's another conversation. Um, entrepreneurship is a lonely venture. When when you're an entrepreneur, most entrepreneurs are afraid, not afraid, ashamed to ask a question of an accountant because we speak professional lingo and they don't want to f- look stupid in our eyes. But the reality is when they don't ask questions, that's when they don't get the support that they that they need that we can provide that can actually make a difference between their business making it and making it a statistic of 50% of businesses fail. That's why, you know, having the fractional CFO knowledge and getting experience over time um, is something that every accountant and every bookkeeper should have because that's it's not about the you know mark talks about value billing value billing value pricing means working with less clients and doing more meaningful work every day as opposed to once a year that's what fractional cfo is about i hope that answers the question yeah i was as you were talking i was thinking when i ran my accounting firm many many years ago i got into business advisory, uh, consulting work. And one of the things that I discovered was that my qualifications, and I'm a chartered accountant, uh, all my training of doing taxes and audits and stuff had almost no relevance whatsoever with the advisory work. It was the experiences that I'd built up from running my own practice, the mistakes I'd made in business and the things I'd figured out and reading business books and reading best, reading stories about great businesses and what they did different and, and understanding strategy better and, and stuff like that. So I, I, I agree with what you said. It's a, lot, a lot of it's about our experience, about common sense, about learning about what makes business work. Uh, next question that came in, I think we've kind of touched on it, but let me just pull it up just in case there's a different nuance to it. So Corey said, is there a course one can take who has never been a CFO before uh, that can teach them how to become a fractional CFO. And this might be an opportunity you might want to just briefly mention. We'll come back to it later, Tatiana, but about what you do. There is a program that we teach. I've partnered up with someone who was a chief credit officer and a chief investment officer at a very large bank, basically a, uh, an underwriter, a very, very experienced underwriter, and someone who's now doing turnaround business lending. So you know how for a business, I mean, I'm sure people who do bookkeeping and accounting have heard of like Shopify doing a loan where you pay them back out of your sales or PayPal does similar stuff. And those are considered predatory lending scenarios. And the reason is that if you really calculate the annual interest rate, it comes down to about 24% on average. And so we're talking about really predatory situations that people don't know when they're getting into. And so Nick, when he works with these turnaround businesses, meaning businesses that are basically ready to go out of business, need a loan, um, he comes in, he gives them a loan, structures it only if he believes in that they can pay him back, and then also advises them. What he found was that 50% of these businesses have a fractional CFO. And that's how kind of we put together a program that we now teach. It's a uh, live coaching. It's eight weeks, twice a week. Um, and basically we teach things to avoid these types of situations. And he said that because 50% of these businesses, about 50% had fractional CFO, that means they were not doing their job. They were not managing the liquidity. They were not managing the working capital. They were not managing the liability side of the equation uh, really well. And so that's why we put the program together and we're now offering it, which we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later. Yeah, great. Sarah asked a great question. Uh, she says, have you found a sweet spot company size for fractional CFO services? And I was going to ask a question similar, which is, is there a best type of client for fractional CFO? So I have. Um, 
it's not the conventional wisdom, meaning that I'm kind of a rebel um, in that sense. But here's the way I look at it. It's kind of a two, two-prong or three-prong scenario that I look at. Uh, typically, it's believed that the sweet spot for a fractional CFO service is one to five million revenue. But I've served businesses who had under a million revenue, but they had a very high profit. So we're talking half a million, uh, 50% revenue, I mean, profit, right? That's a great client for uh, for a fractional CFO. Once they hit a million, great, they're, they're making a million, they're already in this kind of sweet spot, but it's not the only sweet spot. I don't care how much a business makes. In fact, I was just preparing a tax return this morning for someone who had $5 million in revenue but lost $3 million, and they're going out of business. So I don't care about how much you make top line. I care about how much is left. And what I found is usually three fifty dollars to $400 net after expenses is a sweet spot for potentially a fractional CFO. And the reason is that up to under 200 250 we're talking about a business owner who's really in the survival mode meaning that they're just paying their bills, they're finally making some money, they're getting some stuff done, whatever, maybe a swimming pool in their house. I don't know, but I'm making stuff up. But we're talking about people who are not yet in the mindset of spending a little bit more to have somebody help them manage their business better from a financial perspective. In terms of the upper limit, again, the conventional wisdom is that it's 5 million, but I disagree with that. I had a client uh, who, like I said, recently hired a full-time CFO and recently, I mean, six months ago, they grew from zero to 30 million in about two years. Uh, That's the same client that had a lot of inventory on on their hands as well. So there's a lot of work to be done. Once they hit about 25 to 30 million, you can help them because you've been helping them already. They trust you. You can help them hire people. And I've helped this particular client hire a couple of accountants. I've interviewed them. I've onboarded them. I've managed them. We've had weekly calls or whatever whatever it is that, that's there. And then once you have um, hit about 25, they really need an in-house controller. You could still remain a CFO. The controller will do all of the day-to-day work. Take it away from your firm, potentially, if you're, you've been doing a lot of these things or take it take some of it away, but also you can keep the supervisory role. And, and if you offer taxes, you become an advisor who always keeps their tax head on. And that's really important. Clients love that. Uh, but you don't have to offer taxes to understand kind of how taxes work. But that's the idea. And then at, the, at 30 million, they need someone in house. They need someone who's strategic and you can help them find that person. And you can still remain a consultant. You can still preserve the relationship because it really what it comes down to is the relationship more than anything else. Uh, can you define controllership as you see it? Uh, that's a good question. And that's a lot. And I understand where it comes from because um, it definitely, it's a different function. I'll give you an example. I think that's the best, probably the best way to illustrate a controller versus a CFO. Controller handles record keeping, bookkeeping overseas, either does or oversees bookkeeping or record keeping. Controller also potentially works with uh, treasury, or if it's we're talking about a small business, then the controller is the treasurer oftentimes, or shares that role with the um, with the owner CEO. Controllership looks back at numbers, whereas CFO looks forward. So a CFO says, "Okay, we have a financial forecast for the next twelve months," which is t- which is very typical for for the clients that I work with, at least twelve months, sometimes t- um, eighteen to twenty four months ahead. Can we hire this new person 
for this function. We'll look at how much it would be. We spread it out. We'll look at, we, can we afford it? What can we expect? That's CFO role. Same thing as um, we are running into a cash flow situation. Let's borrow $200,000 from the line of credit. What's our plan to pay it back? That's a CFO function. Controller is a little bit, like I said, it's looking back on the numbers as opposed to forward. That, that makes sense to me, that forward looking and backward looking. And actually, the next question, I think we've probably answered this one, but let me just double check. Um, you mentioned that what accountants frequently think a fractional CFO is or does is different from what it actually is. What functions, deliverables do you focus on as the core of your service? And I think you've kind of covered this, but just in case you want to add anything more to that. When I offer, again, fractional CFO service will be different for almost every business. And the reason for that is that every business needs will be different and your price will be different. Your deliverable will be different because their budget will be different as well. So typically what we're talking about, if it's a small business, let's, let's, I'll give you three examples, right? Three different levels of business. A business that's less than a million revenue, 400,000, 500,000 net profit for them, you managing record keeping, controllership, treasury, all of that stuff, that's part of sort of controller more or less. Budgeting and forecasting, that's going to be your main function to start with. Remember that forecasting is not just a PL, and that's what a lot of um, business owners will struggle with. I, I don't know why that is, but business owners have trouble understanding what a balance sheet really tells them. So edu- educating them, forecasting for them and with them, um, and also very important, and I'll, I'll tell you a little story that I've had with, with a new client a couple of years ago. We started working on forecasts together. We did a forecast and every month we would look together at the at the reports, right? And that's part of your deliverable. So the way you would set it up is you would have certain things that you would do every week. Let's say book update every week. Some clients I do book book update every day, not less than not less than one week. So very rarely do we close the books once a month um, and do bookkeeping once a month. But typically you would have a set of deliverables, and that set of deliverables would vary depending on how complex the client is. And there's three levels of complexity. This one client who's, let's say, not even a million revenue, but is very highly profitable, they would need a good forecast. They would need a good, robust strategy on how to grow their revenue and understand what's making them money. That's where you come in as a a CFO, as a fractional CFO. You will need to sort of get into the numbers in terms of, uh, I'll give you an example, a client who has a store. Uh, clothing store. I had a. I have a client who's um, who used to have a retail location. They know that they make their most of their money on union suits. Um, it's onesies for for adults, basically, uh, and they make almost no money on socks or underwear. If they remove underwear, just like Mark, you remember you talked about decoys in your. I was just thinking about this yesterday. Um, when you talk about price psychology, we talk about decoys, right? The uh, the Economist example where if you remove the middle option. Um, the skew of the numbers is unfavorable for the business. Same thing here, where if you remove the product that makes you no money but brings people into your store, that's what you would offer to this to this person. You would help them analyze these numbers and teach them how to look at them, understand how much to order, and all of those things. That would be for this one first, um, let's say, type of tier of a business. If a business is between a million and let's say ten million. Then robust financial forecast, liquidity management, extremely important because, like I said, for especially businesses that have prepayments of some kind, like production and things like that, cash flow management, not running out of cash, 
is extremely important. And then when you're 10 million to 25, 30, which is your going to be your top bracket here, it's more about um, creating an accounting department that is that works really well. It could be your firm, meaning it could be fully outsourced to you. Um, and you manage their checks and you manage everything else. But it could also be a combination where you hire them an on-site bookkeeper and you help them with day-to-day things and they can come to you for questions or come to your staff for questions, depending on kind of, kind of how big you are. I hope that answers the question. It was a long-winded answer. <laughs> it was a great answer. Yes, <laughs> it makes sense. The examples really help us as well. Well, I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. And of course, we're not done yet. But before we continue, if you're looking for more free training and help, here are three things you can do. First, connect with me on LinkedIn. Tell me you listen to my podcast and I'll send you some links to some free resources. Next, be sure to visit my YouTube channel containing hundreds of training videos. Hit the subscribe button and the bell to get notified when I upload new content. And join my Facebook group, value pricing with Mark Wickersham and be part of a community of accounting professionals getting better at pricing. Okay, let's continue. You mentioned a few times, Tatiana, about uh, about forecasting, which kind of leads on to the next question, because Sarah asked the question, uh, what tool do you find best for cash forecasting? <laughs> Uh, I'll share the secret. I'll share the secret sauce. The best tool is Excel. <laughs> that's just, that's what it comes down to. I've used, I've tried pretty much every software out there. There is a couple of good ones. Honestly, so in 2018, Mark, when we met for the first time, when I attended one of your sessions at QVC, QuickBooks Connect, this was the year when my firm, a one person at the time, a one person firm, one woman show became a runner up at the Intuit's firm of the future. And the reason for that, the, the, the only qualifier was describe a situation where technology helped your client succeed. And so I described a situation where my client and I, that's the same client uh, that I started with. We used the QuickBooks budgeting feature and converted it into a forecast. And here's how I did it. I used it as a PL and then I created a group of accounts at the bottom with uh, number eight or number nine. I can't remember. But those were for liability projections. So uh, when you, we were paying loans, those don't show up on a PL. and you can never have a budget be actuals, but at the same time, um, you don't need an actual on liabilities. You need to understand based on all of your obligations, based on all of your forecasted expenses, are you going to have to borrow that month? And if you know that three, five, three to four months ahead of time, that's very powerful because there's things you can do. There's customers you can incentivize. There is vendors you can talk to. I've had this client of mine negotiate rent in New York City in two spaces in New York City, which is unheard of before COVID. He went there and explained, listen, you have all of these stores empty on the street. If mine goes, like if I close the store, you will have a whole block of stores closed. And so that doesn't look really good and nobody's going to rent from you. So give me a reduction. And they did. And so being proactive because you have a forecast is super powerful, but he's a CEO with, with experience. When you're working with most small businesses, you don't get that. And so you have to teach them to be like that. And that's kind of where forecast comes in handy. And honestly, whether you use a QuickBooks budgeting tool, which is really forecasting, or just Excel that agrees with the PL and then you have some liability payments at the bottom, 
whatever works, the most important part is what you do. It's not the software you use. I personally love Jirav. It could be a little expensive for smaller clients. So, and usually you're the one who's eating the cost of that. So I, I would recommend it, but um, also it depends on whether the client is worth it, if that makes sense. Uh, absolutely. And there, I know there's people in the Value Pricing Academy who love Giraffe as well. Spelled J-I-R-A-V, I think, but I think it's pronounced Giraffe, as in the animal yeah. with a long neck. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, now, like, like, like me, Tatiana, you're an accountant, but I do know that we do have quite a few bookkeepers as well. So Afsana is a bookkeeper and asked this question. Uh, I'm a bookkeeper and wondering how and if a bookkeeper can take a role of CFO and how. Um, can you keep the question just for a second? Because I want to say for those of you who are bookkeepers, I want to tell you this one thing. A bookkeeper is the most important role in a business. And here's why. As a bookkeeper, you are the business's first line of defense. You are the person who identifies a red flag. You are the person who brings an overspent to the owner's attention. You are the person who keeps the records from becoming garbage in, garbage out. You're that person. And so a bookkeeper's role is such an important role. And thank you for asking that question because as a bookkeeper offering the next step, which is a fractional CFO is very important. I think the first step is really the mindset shift. I come across a lot of bookkeepers who are happy and content with, and that's not Mark, your, your audience, your audience are people who want to do differently, right? Which is great. But bookkeepers are perfectly content with they're 100 bucks a month for a client or 200 bucks a month for a client or whatever, and kind of stress and everything else related to that. Fractional CFO requires you to not just update the books and reconcile. It requires you to look at the business's reports. I started out as a bookkeeper. So, and we're talking 18 years ago, I started out as a bookkeeper and I got really good at it. And the reason I am where I am today is because I was curious but for the first two, maybe three years when I was doing bookkeeping, I never looked at any reports. And then I remember the controller that I inherited this other client from, he asked me, did you see like this uncategorized or something on the report? And I'm like, no. He's like, what, do you not look at the reports after you close the month? And I said, no. And he was amazed. And now I'm amazed because bookkeepers don't look at the reports, but that's how you get started. You look at the comparatives, you play with some reports, you look at the differences, you look at some percentages and variances and all of those things, and you try to understand what's really happening to business. That's how you can, in your mind, see the picture of what that business is doing. And stay, staying curious, that's the first step that you need to do as a bookkeeper or an accountant trying to offer this service. Brilliant answer. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious, Tatiana, to understand a little bit about how would you price this service? So I use menu pricing, uh, of course, because I learned from the best. Um, but certainly, <laughs> it's the truth. Um, not just I'm not just saying it to make you feel good, but it's the truth. Um, menu pricing, and there's a reason for that. And I'm sure that if people follow you, I don't need to really explain menu pricing to everybody. But menu pricing is how you get to serve more people, how you get to become their go-to advisor. And the idea is this: if you're an accountant or a bookkeeper, and you're in Mark's group. You are already doing a lot of the things all it takes is to make, to make the next step, to take it to the next level. But if you're an accountant or a bookkeeper, it's so natural to do this because there's nobody else that they can look to. You need to make them feel comfortable to ask you stupid questions. Stupid questions allowed. Jerks not allowed. Stupid questions allowed. 
But in terms of pricing, usually when we teach fractional CFO in our program, what we do is we talk about this first three to six months period of, we call it a first wave. And the reason is that there's a lot of front-loaded service. When you're pricing the service, it's all about the deliverables. And so there is a limit to the number of hours or to what's being done and maybe the complexity sometimes. Sometimes people just need to get started with a forecast and then get it maintained and really somebody to explain stuff to them. And sometimes this type of service can cost anywhere between 2500 maybe to 3500 a month. If you're doing bookkeeping, like for this one client, I do bookkeeping every day um, because he looks at his numbers every day and that's what you want. You want your business owner to look at their numbers every day because it's their business. And so teaching them all of those things. But the first wave, usually if it's a little bit bigger than that, if it's not just, just a forecast creation and stuff like that, usually there's a fixed price for the first wave. So, and there's probing questions that we teach in terms of what you need to ask them on the first connection call so that you can assess how to, how, what price should be, what the complexity, so there's no scope creeps. Typically then there, it increases. I've had clients where I've had twice a week phone calls because it was so important for them. One of them was with a manager. One of them was just me and the owner. That will obviously be a lot more expensive. That could be anywhere from 5,000 to $10,000 a month. You will know better than anybody else if the business can afford it. And you will also know if they've made some bad decisions, you will also know if they need it. And that's that's your opportunity to communicate with the client and say, I don't know if you knew, but here's, you know, I've been offering this. Maybe it's something that you would need because that's this is what I see in your books right now. And so it's definitely scalable if you use menu pricing and you can always add a little bit more hours and you don't have to necessarily do all of it yourself. You can set up, if you have people working for you, you can always set it up so that others can do some of the work and then your hourly rate becomes thousands of dollars if that's what you what you want because you have other people working, doing all of the things and you have efficiencies in your, in your practice. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Um, what do you see as the biggest challenges of being a fractional CFO? How do you keep the conversations with the client fresh, thinking of <laughs> forecasting modeling in particular? Here's the ugly truth. As accountants, and you already know this, it shouldn't come as no surprise, but we are often therapists to the clients. We are shrinks to the clients. We have to handhold a lot of times. And there's nothing wrong with that if we're getting paid for it. But there's this concept of coaching, which is very misinterpreted in the US. I don't know about Europe or UK. Coaching does not mean a coach tells you what to do. That's actually advisory. A coach means I listen to you. I reflect back what you said. I listen attentively. I don't multitask because multitasking doesn't work. It's proven uh, scientifically. And I ask you questions and you take responsibility for your decision and uh, decisions and your actions. That's what coaching is. I mean, therapy is similar, but therapy deals with the past and past trauma specifically, but coaching is more present and future. The biggest challenge is this, is having, is getting clients to follow what you tell them, to doing what you tell them to do. That's my biggest challenge as a fractional CFO. You can be the, the most brilliant person in the world, but if the client doesn't do what you tell them to do, they'll fail. And I've had that happen before. 
uh, in my practice. I think that you have to learn and, you know, there is certifications for life coaching. Um, Everybody's a life coach, but I think it's a very important skill for accountants to have. We're naturally not great human people. We are naturally not, in order to be a great accountant, you have to be a little bit introverted, a little bit, a little bit OCD, a little bit, all of these things, not all of, well, not everybody, but a lot of us. And so naturally we're not great listeners. Naturally we're not great question askers, but that's what we should be doing. Um, that's what is important of the, uh, to the client and that's what supports them more than anything else. So this challenge is solved over time. It's not a, you know, flip the switch type of situation, but it's sold over time where you support them by asking questions and you make them take responsibility for their actions. And it would look something like this. Oh, I need to create a list. Okay. When will you create it? Uh, maybe next week, maybe. Uh, okay, I'll create it today. Okay, will you send me the confirmation of it? Yes, I will. Okay, this is how you make them take responsibility for for their decision and for the next steps. And that's a lot of it has to do with becoming a coach. That's really what it's about. That's a that's a great answer. And it's interesting. My my previous guest Will Kintish talking about how we can become better networkers was also talking about it's all about asking great questions and that generally in our profession we are not good at that. So I think questions are so important in so many ways. The sales conversation, doing consulting work, advisory, fractional CFO services, networking. We have to ask better questions. Let's just uh, understand a little bit more about. Uh, your program you touched on earlier, a little bit more about who Nick is and how he's involved in the program uh, and why your program is so important. And so we want to, both of us, Nick and I, we want to change how fractional CFO service is delivered. So we teach, a, it's a live presentation and we're almost approved for it to be CPE, which means um, as, a, as a CPA, you can get um, an EA, you can get credits for it as well. Um, it's 16 hours, so eight weeks, twice a week, and we both teach the t- teach the course. It's presented live. Um, we have conversations. We have a hands-on um, sessions where we build forecasts together and kind of you learn how to build forecasts and things like that. But the most important part is we address what Nick's so missing in his turnarounds. And he said, you know, when I work with a business, I always look at who's really supporting this business. And he provides kind of consulting to the business often because um, if there is a fractional CFO, they're not doing their job. They haven't managed the liabilities. Um, They haven't managed the liquidity of the business. And that's why it was in the situation that it was. So we want to change that. We want fractional CFOs to provide the support that the business really needs and wants and that creates income year round for the business owner, for, for the accountant and business owner is doing better, much better too. So we talk about deliverables, the pricing, meaning the packaging and um, the output and probing questions and all of these things in the program. There's a link for to read more about the program, what it offers. And also on that link, there is a way to book a 20, 30 minute conversation with me or Nick so that you can just ask us questions and see if it's right for you. We've had people who've joined, who've booked and talked to us, and one of them specifically said, well, I already offer all of this. So it wasn't the right fit for him, and that's okay. Okay. So back to questions. This is now on the strategy side. Can you give some tangible examples of the strategy, strategic conversations, how you're getting involved in that? Absolutely. So probably an example would be um, the conversation could go like this. 
we're hiring this person. Um, they're going to do our artwork. Uh, wait a second. Uh, time out. Let's look at whether we can afford them. Look at the forecast. Okay, let's build in how much are you looking to pay them? What's what the other costs will be? All of these other things. Now that we've looked at it, can we afford them? Is it worth it? Is it a revenue producing person? No? Okay, so this is just a pure expense. Is it necessary? If it is necessary, there should be justification behind every decision. Are you okay with living with less profit because of that? If that's if the answer is yes, then great, do it. Or let's do it, or let's stick to the plan. But also remember that every year you'll have to give them increases in salary, right, for inflation or whatever. Um, how will that play into our forecast? What does that look like? Is there a bonus structure? Um, how does that play into your, if it's a revenue producing activity, a person, let's say it's a salesperson, what's the what's the um, gross margin? Or it, let's say if it's an HVAC contractor, I, have a, I work with someone like that, they have technicians who get a percentage. And right now our struggle is, their gross margin is very slim because they give a lot of money to the technician. And so that's a conversation. How do we solve this? Maybe you can solve it for existing people, but maybe for new ones that you on board, you can restructure their compensation. That's the type of strategic conversations that you have with, with the business owner. Great. We've got, I think, time for one more question. What conversation do you have with someone you've identified as a prospect to show value of a fractional CFO come into the firm, especially if prospect sees accounting department as a necessary expense? And that's a great question. How do we communicate the value with a prospect? Um, it's a hard conversation uh, because most people, most business owners do see it as, a, as an expense, as what I need as opposed to what I want. But you have to turn it around and present it as something they want. Do you want to be confident in your cash flow? Do you want to become a better CEO and really run your business and scale your business and make it sellable so that you never have to work again? That's really what the value is of a fractional CFO. That's what a fractional CFO, CFO's goal should be for that business owner. Some people say they don't want to sell the business. That's okay. That changes once somebody offers them five, 10, 20 million dollars for that business. And so your job is to make it a slim money-making machine that gets them to where they want to be personally. And that's all about what they personally want because business is personal. That's just what it comes down to. That's a great answer. I love that one. Yes. I wish we had more time to talk about the sales process and pricing and stuff. But anyway, we've had some great questions. I think we've got through most of them. I think we need to say a big thank you to Tatiana for sharing so much great stuff. It's been, been awesome. And if you want to find out more about her, click on the links. Thank you, Tatiana. It's been amazing. Thanks so much, Mark. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Well, that's all for today's episode. If you want to learn more about value pricing, you can join my Facebook group, Value Pricing with Mark Wickersham. It's a community of thousands of accounting professionals. If you want to take things to another level, you can enroll in the Value Pricing Academy or one of my other academies. Find out more when you head to www.wickersham.co.uk. Members of the Value Pricing Academy learn how to price better, how to master business advisory, and how to build more successful and enjoyable accounting firms. I'll be back soon with another episode of the Value Pricing Podcast. See you soon.